Hello, I'm NAB's Executive General Manager for Business Direct and Small Business, Lee O'Neill. Welcome to my podcast series, Building Better Small Businesses. Today, I'm fortunate to be joined in the NAB studio by Tim White, owner of Books for Cooks. Books for Cooks is Australia's independent, award-winning, specialist culinary bookstore right in the heart of Melbourne. And it's run by cooks and lovers of good food and good books, husband and wife team Tim and Amanda. Tim is a former lawyer passionate about wine, food and books and has worked in restaurants, pubs and the food industry as well as being an avid bibliophile and has a long interest in history, sociology, science and literature of food. His particular passions apparently, we may delve into these later, are European peasant food and wine. That is quite an introduction, Tim. Thank you very much for joining me here today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Books for Cooks sounds like quite a niche business. However, I was amazed to read that you have over 40,000 book titles and books about cooking and food from as early as the late 18th century, which seems like an incredible number of books written by something that is so common to us all as food. I wonder if you could tell me how the idea of starting a small business focused on books for cooks has evolved. Well, it it truly is the world's worst business plan. Um, we had always uh, joked between ourselves and, and with our friends that uh, we loved books, we loved food, we loved cookbooks, and we were collectors of cookbooks long before we... Uh, thought about a small business uh, along those lines. So the idea was always that at some point I would be like Mr. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice and have a lovely little leather-bound chair in a library with books and I could have a muffin of the day on next to the book of the day out the front and my wife would have a bakery come cafe next door that would be quite genteel and, and do the reverse and so have the... Uh, have a, have a dish inspired by a particular book or a recipe from a, a book that she loved, uh, and that was as far as the as the joke ever got. Um, but one day, uh, whilst in a, in in another life, we uh, often would grab the Saturday paper and uh, read it cover to cover, and there it was. There was a one line ad somewhere between the shipping notices and the liquidation of um, uh, a container of furniture. I think it was cookbook shop for sale with a phone number and uh, an hour later or so we had a very sore credit card uh, and we owned a bookstore. Um, it was, uh, as I said, perhaps the world's worst business plan in the sense that we had funded it entirely on impulse debt um, uh, but we had bought something that was uh, entirely aligned with our passions and interests and it was incredible how quickly it consumed us uh, and became what we do every day and we love every day. So you see a line that says cookbook shop for sale and an hour later you've bought it. What have you bought? <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's an interesting question. We, we, I must say the lawyer's hat instantly came on as soon as we realised we were really serious about it. Uh, we, we did not buy a business. We bought um, a business name and we bought some stock and some fittings, uh, but we did not buy a, um, a legal entity per se uh, beyond the business name uh, we didn't buy a customer database or and to be fair <clears throat> this was a, a very old-fashioned bookstore that was really a hobby um, on the part of the owners who who had other businesses and it was just sort of tucked away in the corner of 
uh, what they were realising. Um, they were realising all of their businesses because they were retiring with the looming advent of GST. So, um, again, we were probably quite lucky that uh, as a negotiation it was the one of the better times to buy something because people were looking to make that change. But what we bought was about 5,000 books um, and about 80 metres of shelving. And the books ranged from... Uh, they looked like they'd been run over to brand new that were imported from overseas, uh, and they were incredibly eclectic. Uh, there were there were no bestsellers. There was no Jamie Oliver or Nigella stacked up. It was a it was very much a labour of love along some very specific lines. And uh, as a consequence, we um, instantly sort of shelved it, resorted it, recleaned it, um, and, and invested a lot of time in. Uh, expanding that collection. Um, from our point of view, it was a it was a really good start, a really good um, seed for what we wanted to do. Uh, so it feels, in when I'm hearing you tell that story, that you bought some stock and you bought some goodwill. I wonder if you could talk to me about how you actually then go around setting up a business around that. What were the challenges of establishing the small business? Well, there are a couple of different ones. I mean, the first thing you again, putting my lawyer hat on, you have to think about what structure you really want to be. Uh, if you're going to be a serious bookstore, you need to be trading as a retail business, moving a significant number of units daily. Uh, so you need to find yourself uh, proper uh, recording systems, proper computer systems. Um, you need to make sure that your intellectual property that you've bought is properly protected. Um, and then you need to make sure that you can establish trading accounts with the relevant um, uh, publishers and parties. It's no secret that, that the book trade is a little bit Byzantine and genteel. Um, it's not exclusive, but it's not something that is as easy as walking down the street or walking into a uh, into a wholesaler and just grabbing some stock. Um, it's a far more um, uh, symbiotic sort of relationship between publishers and wholesalers and booksellers. We all represent different faces of the same sort of coin. So um, from our point of view, it was a fairly simple question. Uh, we decided to incorporate um, and we would put the business name into the company's name, which would make things a lot simpler for us. Uh, uh, having uh, Books for Cooks Proprietary Limited as well as Books for Cooks, a registered business name, gave us a lot more protection in relation to domain names, in relation to trademarks. Um, not that you can trademark Books for Cooks. It's quite uh, it's the use of common words. It's not something that's uh, easily... Um, uh, trademarked but you can copyright it and you can uh, certainly protect your brand around that and it's very alliterative um, although we often get called books for crooks which (laughs) makes me (laughs) makes me want to open a murder mystery section but um, but we're all on the same page so after we incorporated it was very much a question of starting to tick off um, all of the things that we thought that made a good business and I'll admit freely that that uh, the words of the great Lobachevsky came straight to mind, and that is plagiarise, plagiarise. Let no one else's work evade your eyes because there are great businesses out there and you should look to them as benchmarks. So we instantly went and talked to as many of the bookselling colleagues we have now and said, we're thinking about opening a bookstore. And they were really generous and told us lots of things. So uh, if whatever business you're thinking about, I would say that's a great way to go out and find out about it. Um, and then look at the things that you really like. We, we've got a couple of favourite bookstores, and, and I actually blame readings in Melbourne as the real root cause of being a bibliophile because when I moved to university, they were my local bookstore. 
Um, and 5,000 books later, I had to buy a bookstore because it was getting out of hand. Uh, what they did at the time and what they do now are still benchmarks for me. And I look at everything they do and say, that's a good idea. Um, I don't steal it, but I look at it and say, how would that work if I was to, to adopt something similar in, in my business? Or why are they doing that? Is there something I can do that's similar? Because I think there are great people out there, great businesses that are always clear and thinking about what they're doing. Uh, so we did a lot of that, and we constantly do that. We, we we love walking into bookstores, and we'll buy a book or two, chat to the owner, and then we'll look around and go, oh, that's nice. Maybe we could do that. So I'm sure learning from other businesses, and you've given me this great rosy picture of independent booksellers being really welcoming and willing to share ideas. And at the other side of your industry, you've got huge publishing houses that you're also dealing with. How do you come to run your small business and learn how to play into the big industry players? I'm going to refer to Jane Austen again. There's there's a lovely scene where um, Elizabeth uh, Bennet says, "You know, I'm I'm the daughter of a gentleman, and you're the son of a gentleman, and therefore, you know, we're equal." Um, that's just as she's about to launch into a tirade against the great aunt she's about to inherit. Uh, but at that point, it, it seems to me that's true of any small business. I'm the CEO of my business. I also happen to have to be the fire warden. I'm also the person who sweeps up and cleans the bathrooms occasionally. But I'm, I'm the CEO of my business and I have to assume all of those uh, positions uh, and obligations and responsibilities and challenges. And uh, in that sense, I look at myself and I look at my colleagues or my equals in, in large businesses, there's no difference. Uh, they may have more experience, they may have more reach, but we still have the same focus and the same intentions. Um, I might even have my hands on the levers more quickly than they do. So uh, I think any small business that thinks that that they're just a micro or a small business and that they don't have a voice that shouldn't be heard or that they shouldn't stand up and and have a conversation with a big business or a big business person um, is making a mistake. When we talk about hands on the levers, the key lever being customers, would that be fair? We trade very heavily on our reputation and we rely, uh, rely entirely on our customers for that. We don't have a marketing budget. Well, I do, it's zero. Um, every dollar I spend on marketing I have to find from somewhere else. So uh, we are very aware of the uh, importance of our customers and customer service. I've had the great fortune of going in your store and it is one of the most warm and welcoming and you want to spend hours in there on the shelves. (laughs) Tell me how you balance that because it genuinely feels that sense of warmth with selling books, being able to pay the rent, running a business. Uh, We made a very deliberate decision when we started that we wanted our bookstore to resemble in as many ways as possible our home Hospitality, which is a, a part of our business, I suppose, in, in, we cater to hospitality. We provide people with the tools to be hospitable, uh, to have a meal at a shared table based on a recipe or to give a gift. Or So we wanted to reflect how we would have people into our house. Um, so when we present our books, the books that we choose are the books that we personally love um, and that we learn from our customers. We present them in a way that the way we want to have them in our own home. So we go to a lot of trouble to clean um, and uh, cover um, using archival materials, uh, providing a range, 
grouping them. And then even the aesthetic is very much the idea you would come and sit in our lounge room and read a book. So we didn't ever want a commercial retail space. Uh, we've, uh, we've always studiously avoided that. The idea is hopefully we're, we're a venue where you can literally sit in a chair and you're welcome to read all day. And creating that atmosphere res- relies on people coming into the store and visiting them and then increasingly people are making purchases and doing retail online. How have you managed that in your world? Uh, well, we've always seen ourselves as a destination. Uh, so we are dis- uh, definitely marketing ourselves as a tourist destination because of the uniqueness of what we do. Um, to put it in context, we are a true antiquarian bookseller as well as a new bookseller as well as a specialist bookseller but we are extremely selective we will not stock anything that is outside our area of expertise so i've never sold harry potter i'll never sell dan brown i'll never sell a a book on malcolm turnbull or um we everything must be about food and wine so it's a it's a very nice neat brand proposition to make um and then what we can say is because we go from 1780 to 2016 17 in terms of the range and we go from home cooks and kid cooks to professionals to molecular uh, scientists to people who want to um, become uh, commercial producers of cheese or wine um we're able to, again, focus that very narrowly. So we definitely see ourselves as a unique destination. And we uh, did look closely at a few of the businesses that we thought were doing that very well. Um, in Melbourne, Richmond Hills Cafe and Larder over the last 20 years has been a destination on Bridge Road because of their fromagerie, the Stephanie Alexander connection, etc. And we looked at some of the ways that they leveraged that. Um, with uh, Tourism Victoria, uh, Destination Melbourne and a whole range of of things like that. So on any given day, we probably see 10 to 15% of our customers will be tourists, but they'll be very bespoke destination tourists who've heard that there's a food and wine experience that they want to tap into and they might buy a souvenir or um, have something sent home. Sometimes they'll go away and then give us a call from overseas or interstate and we might post them something so we certainly do that um, but we we have tried very hard to make it that people have to come to see what we have um, where on the other hand we're very aware that our big competition um, is, is effectively the big e-tailers uh, the amazons the book depositories etc the difference that we can offer is one of expertise and we see ourselves like a bespoke tailor almost. We we actually try and have a conversation about the right book for you, how it might fit, what sort of things do you otherwise like. And there isn't a logarithm that can replace that at the moment. Uh, but we do have to have a, a an e-commerce uh, presence. Um, clicks and bricks is definitely the future of retail. Um, so we've we've struggled with that over the last sort of 10 or 15 years. And then where, where do you go to get advice for that? Is that... <laughs> oh, Cause uh, walking into an independent bookseller, it's fairly self-explanatory as you're walking down the high street, mm. where that is. How do you go and find advice when you want to expand online? That's a really tricky question. Um, I had the internet described to me once as the Wild West. You, you really, there, there is no law. or there, There's a little bit coming, but 
um, you know, things like Google Tax, etc., hopefully leveling up the playing field. But you can build a website with people that you engage online that you don't really know where they live or work and you never actually meet them. Um, you can buy products that are, uh, seem to do exactly what you want, only to find that in a year's time that direction of technology has completely disappeared. So how do we find stuff? Um, I do a lot of research. Um, the internet is our best friend, I have to say, is a business of that, that was sort of started in 2000. If it wasn't for the internet, we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, we certainly wouldn't be able to offer the range of books or the, the range of information. So yes, a lot of research, uh, and then you filter through it and uh, try and land on who to use. And then you've got to work out, can you afford it? Um, a, an e-commerce website can be as cheap as $1,500 or as expensive as you know, at least a small car, depending on what you want to get out of it. And bookstores are in a difficult spot because it's, it's really nice if you're a small business doing a, a service. Um, then you have a limited range of services that you offer and it's easy to build a website using some of those tools that are out there. Um, many of them free. Um, when you're offering a broader range of products or you're a designer or a, a clothing store, there's still a good range of uh, options like Shopify, etc., that do tie in quite well with POS systems, etc. Um, they probably max out at around 1,500 to 2,000 units in terms of the commercial application. Um, the problem with us is that we have about 45,000 singles and our SKUs keep growing, so every every day I buy more out-of-print and second-hand books that I haven't seen before, uh, and publishers publish more. Uh, so uh, you know, we started with five, we're up to 46, and there'll be more. I know that every day there'll be more. So finding a product that, that we can afford, that we can scale, that ensures that we still have enough stock control, etc., is... It's not as easy as you'd think. What would be your number one tip for someone thinking about starting a small business with a deep-seated passion? There's there's a, a lot of things I would instantly say. They're all competing and jostling in my, my mind, screaming to leap out and say, don't do this, do that, don't do this. I think the most important thing to do is to allow yourself to actually have a real crack at what you want to do. And that means... If you're thinking about running a marathon, you eat properly, you prepare for it, you train, etc. Running a small business is like a marathon. You, you don't get out for a short sprint. You might have a little sprint at the start when you open it up, and but once you're um, into it, it's a long road. And so I think you need to actually make sure in your own mind that A, it's something you really want to commit to and commit to for a while, and B, that you're going to give yourself all the tools that you need to to get there. And sometimes those tools will be to self-educate, to do things yourself. And sometimes it's a question of saying, that's not my skill set. That's not what I do. I'm going to get someone else to look after that for me. I think being, being critical of how you're going to survive, how you personally are going to make that transition to a successful small business is perhaps the, the biggest uh, tip. And I think I would follow that up by saying, talk to anyone and everyone you can to inform those decisions and to give you um, more and more light about how you could make your business even better. 
you've touched on and I'll let you have the two great tips there Tim because we we often talk about how we want to empower our customers to build successful and sustainable Mm. small businesses and we really specifically call out sustainability because thinking about it as a marathon rather than just a sprint is really important and I'm pleased to hear that you say that the sector is so much more receptive when you go and ask them questions than you thought they might have been because I think that's the case often in small businesses I see people really willing to share advice and oh, I think generally insights. yes uh, it's it's important to be sensitive to the idea that this is you've walked into someone else's small business and they 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 are naturally I think people naturally want to be generous and tell you about how what they do and why they love it well I'd say Tim if I needed to predict who it was I would come to you to ask you have a clearly have a supremely thorough knowledge of your business and the industry thank you very much for taking the time to join me here today I would encourage anybody who is visiting Melbourne or lives in Melbourne and if you haven't been at Books for Cooks please go and see a wonderful inclusive small business in action Tim best of luck for the future and thank you very much for coming to join me today thanks for having me